All right, this time we're going to have our scripture reading, so if you could please stand with me. Our reading this morning is from Jonah, and it's chapter 2, verse 10, through chapter 3, verse 10. And it says this, And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by, doing, by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, Forty more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink. But let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows, God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. And when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. This is God's word. You may be seated. God, we're so grateful for this opportunity to get into your word, to learn more from this wonderful story of Jonah. God, I pray you would bless Pastor Kyle and speak through him uh, using your Holy Spirit. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you, sir. So on your way out of church today, we're all going to throw snowballs at Mike Sakura. So I'll dismiss everyone a little early so you can get them prepared. <laughs> um, when, I, uh, when I was around seven, I have this memory I was just a little boy, and I had this favorite aunt. Do you guys have like a favorite aunt or uncle or someone, when you were a kid, you just loved it when they were around? Mm -hmm. So for me, that was my Aunt Linda. My Aunt Linda, um, to this day, is such a, such a fun, sweet, kind, generous lady. Um, and, but my Aunt Linda had come over one day, and it was getting, uh, it was getting mid on with time. And it was getting late, and my mother said the, the, the words that every seven-year-old dreads, it's time for bed. Um, well, I wasn't having it, all right? So I was in this mood where my favorite aunt is here. I'm not going to bed. This is not. So I, I mustered up, you know, I, my hardened will towards my mother. And I debated. I reasoned. I manipulated. I did everything that it was in my seven-year-old brain to do to try to change the situation. And when nothing works for a seven-year-old, you know what they resort to. A crescendo of hysterical tantrum, right? <laughs> Crying and just um, ridiculous um, tantrums. And now it's a scene. You ever been there? Do you, you have kids? Okay. You probably were a kid, and you maybe, if you don't have kids, you probably threw a few of those fits at some point in your life. Um, but now it's a scene, and my mom has to discipline me, right? So it's, it's become this whole sort of situation now. My seven-year-old brain at the time thought 
that if I distracted the situation enough, if I cried loud enough, if I just heightened the emotions enough that maybe at the end of all this, when my, my tears are starting to dry and people are starting to calm down, I'll be able to stay up still. Right? Like some, somehow I'll, I'll distract the situation so I'm up anyway. Like my mom will forget what she told me to begin with. Um, or she'll feel, feel bad for me now and just kind of let me stay up. I don't recall if it worked at, in that particular instance. But um, that's sometimes how a child will reason, right? And I've noticed times in my life that we don't always change the way that we think as we grow. That at times in my life, when I've run from God, I've said, I know God is calling me to do something. I know that there is a God. He's, he's speaking to me. And I'm supposed to respond a certain way, but for some reason my heart is hard, and I turn from him and I go in the other direction. I, I, I notice that sort of consequently, after like the, the harrowing experience that we often um, go through, when we go through times of rebellion towards God, that, that oftentimes when it's, when it's the same thing, when the dust settles, we think sort of like that the initial request, where we, God wanted us to go, we just sort of think that that's off the table now for whatever our reason. We, we feel that it's no, we no longer need to do what he initially designed us to do. Maybe he got someone else to do it, right? Like the, the ship has sailed, so to speak. Or maybe we don't deserve to do it anymore. Or that was like a great noble kingdom task that God was calling me to do, and now I've messed up royally, he's disciplined, and I just don't deserve to be used by him anymore. We, we start to reason like this, so we, we think, well, I'm just going to go this way now. And this is what I, what I think might be a dynamic that's happening in the mind of Jonah, in the progression of this story. Recall, God commissions Jonah at the very beginning to preach repentance to the Ninevites. He refuses. He gets on a ship, and he runs away from the presence of the Lord. He's mad at God. And God pursues him and disciplines him, throws him into the sea, orders a fish to swallow him, and Jonah repents in the heart of the sea. Yes? And his communion with God is restored. He's given restoration. But that's not the end of the story. There's two more chapters still. This isn't just about Jonah didn't listen to God and then all this bad stuff happened and then they made up the end. That's not what happens here. What's going to happen next? Had God's plan for, plans for Jonah changed because of this experience? So this morning I want to take a look at the outcome of restoration. What does it mean to be restored with God? When we rebel against him, we hear his word and we say no to his word, we do our own thing, and then we're restored. We come to repentance. Our relationship with God is, is fixed, so to speak. What's the outcome of this? What is the product of a right relationship with God? What does restoration mean? Let me take you to again to verse 1, Jonah chapter 3. And let's read it again just to remind you what it says. Then... The Lord came to Jonah a second time. Oh, isn't it, wouldn't it be scary if, if it, that were the end of the story? Right? Jonah chapter 3, verse 1 is the end. 
right? God spits Jonah up from the mouth of the fish onto the beach. And then the word of the Lord comes again to Jonah a second time. What's he going to say? After all we went through, what is, how is God going to treat Jonah? The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. And can I tell you something, friends? If you're a Christian and you've run from God, the word of the Lord will come to you a second time. God is after you because he loves you. And this is what he says in verse 2. Jonah, you knucklehead, go to your room. Go back to, you know, the place that you were from. I get another prophet who listens better to do the job that you were supposed to. No, it doesn't say that, does it? Arise, it says. Go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. This is almost kind of funny because look at verse 1 in chapter 1. We have to remember this, okay? Chapter 1, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the first time, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for its evil has come up before me. God issues the same commission, the same mission, the same exact one is still intact and in place. It's still Jonah's job. He hadn't disqualified himself. That proverbial ship hadn't sailed, even though he tried it for it too. Jonah disobeys, almost dies in this horrible storm. He's thrown into a sea. He's swallowed by a fish. He repents and he spit up on shore. And as he's wiping off the guts and the seaweed, the word of the Lord comes again a second time, saying the same exact thing it said the first time. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. Friends, when God calls us to salvation, he, he gifts us with gifts. And he calls us to use those gifts. And if we've run from God and we come back to him, he's called us to use those gifts again. I know sometimes because of life and disobedience, circumstances and situations change. So we might be using those gifts in a different setting or a different way, but, but use them, God calls us to. Isn't that great news? So God says, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, call out against it, that message that I tell you. Now if I'm Jonah, I'm thinking, oh, you, oh, you still want me to do that? <laughs> I, thought, I thought I had like delayed enough time where someone else might have been able to go and do that. I thought I dodged that bullet. Now, there are a few observations that I want to make now about this story, about restoration, about what it means when God brings us back. When we run from him and we fall into sin and we live in open rebellion, what is it God wants us to do? What, what, what is God trying to do when he draws us back to right relationship with himself? Restoration with relationship with God, number one, is missional. Restoration with God and a walk with God, when we, when we are restored into right relationship with God, he always gives us mission. Something to do for his kingdom, in other words. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, and he says, go to that great city, city of Nineveh, proclaim it, 
the message I give you. Jonah is now in harmony with God again, in a relationship with God. We saw that in his prayer. He was cast out of God's presence when Jonah was praying in chapter 2. He said, I was, I was cast out of your presence, but now I look again to your, toward your holy temple. And that's poetry. What, what he's saying there, he's, he's, I was fleeing from your presence, but now I'm in it again. I'm in a right relationship with God, a God again. A mutual relationship of communion and love. But that is, not the, the, that, that is not all that God has called us to do and to be. To simply have a loving relationship with him. That's the beginning. That's the foundation. But he calls us to work for him out of that relationship. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So Jonah having harmony with God again meant that he was in service to God. And his past mistakes didn't disqualify him from being on his mission. They didn't just walk off into the sunset holding hands together. Harmony with God puts us automatically on God's mission, on his rescue mission. So Jonah's darkness didn't Jonah's darkness and disobedience didn't disqualify him from being on God's mission. He did need to repent first, but when he did, he was immediately put back on task. Not even Jonah's rebellion disqualified him. God didn't tell Jonah that he was useless to him because he disobeyed the first time. One strike and you're out. When we fail, this is the principle, when we fail and repent, the word of the Lord will come to us again. Mm -hmm. To us too. And he'll use you. There's a, um, a story of, a, of who was a very famous pastor um, in, in the 80s, 90s, I think. And his name was Gordon McDonald. He was a pastor in Massachusetts um, of, of a very large church at the time. So sometimes, you know, in this, in this kind of like Christianity world, we start hearing of certain pastors because maybe their preaching is exceptional, their churches are growing. Whatever, whatever metric it is that impresses us, they end up on the map, they write books. So John MacArthur, Rick Warren, we've kind of heard of these, Charles Stanley, right? They're different pastors. Well, this guy was sort of like this, this more well-known pastor in the 80s and 90s. Um, well, in the 90s, um, he was uh, unfaithful to his wife. This is public. I'm not outing him. Um, th this was in the news. He confessed it publicly. Um, but, but he was unfaithful to his wife. You'd think in a situation like this, he, he was released from his church. He had to leave his church. And you'd think, you'd think you might psychologically and spiritually go through this process after this. Well, that's the end of me. I guess I just have to start, you know, I just got to go do something else with my life now. But friends, what happened with him is if you read anything about his life, um, he was restored. His, his relationship with his wife was salvaged. And God saved him. And now he is a wonderful mentor. Um, at, the pastor, at, at, the, at the churches he's gone to, he's been sort of like a lay pastor. He's, he's taught at seminaries and Bible colleges. And he's being used greatly still for God's kingdom. You see, so we mess up royally... God can still use us. God, not, not God can still use us. When we come to repentant faith in him, he will still use us. That's what restoration means. Most often, we are most useful when we are most broken. This is what God, um, this is, excuse me, this is what some call God's equipping grace. Because most often, we are most useful when we are most broken. 
You know, before Jonah's rebellion and disobedience, you remember his attitude towards Nineveh? He hated their guts. He wanted God to judge them. Jonah was hard, unmerciful, and uncompassionate. Isn't that true? If you remember, reading back. You, we might compare him. Do you remember the story of the, the Good Samaritan in the Gospels? And the priest and the Levite walk by this man beaten up and thrown in a ditch. And for whatever the reason, it was going to make them late or make their hands dirty or they just didn't like um, this man in the ditch because maybe he was a criminal, who knows. Whatever their reasons, they walk by and they don't lift a finger to help him. Except this good Samaritan does. These former, that priest and that Levite, and Jesus said, who was their neighbor? Who, well, and they said, well, the one that had compassion. See, this was not Jonah. This is the opposite of Jonah. Jonah is the, the priest and the Levite in the story of the Good, 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 good Samaritan. The Ninevites are, are destined for God's doom. God's judgment is coming for their gross sin. Right? They're in, the, the Ninevites are lost in darkness. And Jonah could simply couldn't care less. He was happy that God was going to judge them. How useful would Jonah's preaching have been if he showed up in Nineveh without being first a beaten, broken, and fallen man? See, Jonah now understood the weight of his own sin and what the gift of God's grace actually meant and how much he needed to be saved. So now he was even all the more useful. That's, see, that's what I mean. Through Jonah's rebellion and discipline, God was equipping him to be useful in ministry. This is God's equipping grace. Romans 5.20 reminds us that where sin abounds, imagine this. This doesn't seem right. This isn't the logic that we use. Where sin abounds, grace superabounds. You see, I, if I were writing the Bible, I would say this. Where, where sin abounds, wrath superabounds. Right? You take $10, $10 from me, I take 20 You, What's that line? You bring, a knife, you bring a knife to a fight, you bring a gun. I don't even know where that's from. It's from some movie. That's how I'd write the Bible. Where sin abounds, my wrath superabounds. But that is not the math that God does. Where sin abounds for God, grace superabounds. Part of what that means is that when we, even, even as Christians, when we run away from God, when we do that which we know we should not have done, when we come to repentance, true repentance, our heart grieves over what we've done, God forgives us, he cleans us, and he uses us. They say, look at him now. He is now a trophy of my grace. Now you can be too. See, this is God's equipping grace. Service that flows from a broken and contrite heart is the only kind that is acceptable to God. So you know, know what this does? It frees us to finally admit our sin and not pretend like we didn't do it. Because when we confess it to God, the blood of Jesus is faithful to forgive us. And not only will he forgive us, but he'll use us. He'll use our testimony. So friend, if you are under the burden of loss or the burden of discipline, there is a great potential that God is using this as his equipping grace in your life. And the word of the Lord will come to you again. Isn't that good news? Mm -hmm.
Number two, restoration is evangelistic. The outcome of restoration is evangelism. So the first point that we had made was that um, that the outcome of restoration is missional. Well, the, 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 the mission that we're on in our restoration is evangelistic. So restoration's outcome is evangelism. The mission that God puts us on is evangelism. What I mean here is that God's mission for all of us is always to form other people into greater faith in Jesus Christ. Whether you know him already or you don't. Okay? Whether, they've, whether you've trusted Christ already or not, if you are God's people by faith in Jesus, he has called you to lead others to greater faith in Christ. That's his mission. And that's the mission that restoration puts us on. He calls us to introduce those who are not yet Christians to believe and trust in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he also calls us, as believers, to help other people who do already believe in Christ to believe him even more. To be formed into the fullness of Christ. That's how the Bible puts it. Right? He uses us no matter who we are and no, no matter what our earthly job might be to bring the good news of Christ into whatever sphere of life we touch. That's evangelism. So plumbers can reach electricians and carpenters that I'll never meet in this pulpit. He's called you just as much to evangelism as he has me. He's called a plumber, an electrician, a lawyer, and a doctor just as much to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ as he has a prophet or a teacher. Okay? This is God's call. I am making you fishers of men so that plumbers can reach electricians and carpenters and dentists and salesmen, salesmen into the people that they touch each day. Does that make sense? God's mission to save the Ninevites didn't change because Jonah screwed up. Jonah had a lesson to learn. And as we said before, that lesson is actually what made him useful when he preached to the Ninevites. God's mission to save the Ninevites didn't change because Jonah failed. And God's man to preach salvation didn't change because he failed. He still called Jonah to do this. His mission for Jonah was not to leave him after the fact, detached from the world's need. You see, friends, when God calls you to faith in Jesus Christ, he attaches you to the world's need. He puts you in place so that you can speak the good news of Jesus Christ to the world's need. That's our mission, friends. And that's what he's called you to do. And we're not off the hook just because we messed up. Or we were mad or we went through this season of darkness. God has called you to it, friend. His mission for Jonah was now to leave, was, wasn't to leave him detached from the world's need, to take him off that kingdom mission and have him go do something else. The Christian's mission is always and only to lead others to faith in Jesus Christ. And that is the rest, restoration that comes through repentance. 
That is our purpose. I want you to consider just as a, like a Bible example of this. Okay, another one. Jonah's one, but let's consider King David. Remember what he did? He did something pretty dastardly. Didn't he? Mm-hmm. Committed adultery. Supposed to be with his military, with his army. He's not. He decides, I'm going to stay home, take it easy, little R&R. And while he's on, his, on the roof, he sees a woman naked bathing next door. And like most men, seeing a beautiful naked woman bathing, he probably got a little excited. Right? So he says, all right, um, Huey, Dewey, and Louie, go get her for me. Oh, she's married. Her husband's at war fight, fighting for you. That's okay. Go get her. And you can do the math. She gets pregnant while her husband's away, so he's got a problem. She's not the Virgin Mary. <laughs> this isn't a, a miraculous conception. How did she get pregnant? Everyone knows she was in my chamber. Okay, so what's, what, what am I going to do? So she, he calls for her husband, brings, brings her home. He tries to set up this thing where they can sleep together. And now like, oh, it's, it's her baby. It's his baby. He, he came home. But he won't do it. He says, I'm not going to be pleasuring myself and comforting myself like this while all my, my brothers are dying on a battlefield. So he sleeps on the porch of the palace. For all to see, by the way. He could have slept at his, on his couch. But he, that's not where he chose to sleep. He slept on the palace steps so everyone knew he did not go home. So now, now David's got a problem. What do I do? Slept with this man's wife. Oh, I got an idea. I'll murder him. I'll kill him. And then after he's dead, I'll marry his widow. You see, this is, this is King David. This is what he does. Hmm. The prophet Nathan approaches David and he says, David, I know what you did. Right? Remember that parable with the sheep? The poor man has, has one sheep and then a rich man has all these sheep. He's got thousands and thousands of sheep. And the, the rich man comes to the poor man and steals his sheep. And he says, David, what should we do about this? This is the prophet Nathan. What should we do? He's like, I want to know who he is. Get him to me because we're going to cut his head off. And Nathan says, you're the man. You're that man, David. And Psalm chapter 51 and Psalm chapter 34 are two prayers of repentance. David repented. He came back and was restored. You know, if, if, if something like this happened now, the Christian church um, would never forgive him. They'd want him out, right? Maybe you can come to church and sit in the back one day but don't start doing stuff for Jesus again. You see, but this isn't what happens with David. Psalm chapter 51, you know what it says? David prays, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Uphold me with a willing spirit. Listen to this wonderful verse. Then I will teach transgressors your way and sinners will return to you. Through David's sin, repentance, and restoration, sinners would have life. Isn't that incredible? It seems so backwards. We want, people to fa- that, we want people that fail on this sort of level to really pay. He says, then sinners will return to you. 
He doesn't say restore unto me the joy of salvation and, you know, I guess I just have to be a shepherd now. No, David was restored to God's kingdom mission to bring sinners like him to salvation. Friend, and that's what God calls us to do. This doesn't give us a license to sin, just the opposite. Because it's only when we're restored, when we repent and God forgives us, we've turned from that sin and we fall under the forgiving grace of God that we come alive and God uses us to bring life to others. That is the miracle and beauty of God's grace. When we fail and return to the Lord, he doesn't give us a plan B inferior job demotion. We come back to the same beautiful kingdom mission that he gave us when we left to lead men and women to faith in Jesus Christ. It might be in different ways, right? Like Gordon McDonald wasn't the pastor of that church anymore, but God still uses him greatly in other, in other contexts. And we might preach the gospel as different sorts of, in different occupations. We might have different clothes on. I wear the pastor's clothes, right? You might wear an electrician's or farmer's or lawyer's clothes. But friends, we all have that same beautiful kingdom mission to use our place in life to bring sinners to faith in Jesus. That's God's evangelistic mission of grace to us when he restores us. God saying to Jonah, my mission is save sinners is still the same, and Jonah, you're still the man for the job. Oh, how wonderful those words are when we know that we don't deserve any of it. And we know we've blown it. But there's more. When we're restored like this to God, he brings missional grace. Or we could call it fruitful ministry. Missional grace. So in other words, he gives, gives us grace on our mission. It's effective, in other words. Before it w- wouldn't have been, but now it is because of who Jesus has formed us into. He gives us fruitful ministry. Jonah's journey into the pit and back resulted in the salvation of an entire city. His darkness and death and rebellion and discipline and subsequent restoration led a whole city to faith in Jesus Christ. You say, well, it's faith in Yahweh, I know. But Jesus is in Yahweh. This is the story of the Bible. It's the fundamental message of Scripture. It's the fundamental message or meaning of the gospel itself through Christ. How did Jesus save us? Through his death, right? Through going down into the grave. Through death comes life. And friends, it's the same with you and I. Through our death, our emotion, like things die in our lives, right? God, God is stripping away all of our false devotions and teaching us to trust him. Through all those buried deaths, God, God is using those deaths so he can give you and I fruitful ministry. It was through the death of Jesus that life came to sinners. And if God is going to use us greatly and multiply life through us, something in us needs to die. Right? We're going to need to be brought down to dark, deep, and desperate places. John chapter 12, Jesus said this, Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. 
So we can, we can be that seed. We can decide, I'm not going into the ground and dying, but there's going to be no fruit in your life. That's what Jesus meant when he said, well, excuse me, John the Baptist meant when he said, he must increase, I must decrease. I need to die to my own will, my own plan for my life, my own demands and expectations. And sometimes when we refuse to die to those things, God starts, God starts separating them for us from us. He does the work for us, and we're crushed and broken, just like Jonah. But that breaking, that dying, makes us useful and fruitful for him. Life doesn't multiply unless we surrender our lives and will to King Jesus. We decrease, he decreases. In chapter 3 and verse 4, Jonah, who was dead, right, proverbially in the belly of that fish, now lives like Jesus. And he goes to the Ninevites and he, <clears throat> and he tells them that they, were, they were, would fall under the awful judgment of God unless they repented. And it says this, and the people of Nineveh believed God. Isn't that incredible? Shocking. Pagan nation. Thousands of people turned to faith in Yahweh. And the people of Nineveh believed God, and they called for a fast and put on sackcloth. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. But what's more than that, what does this mean? Does this mean that, like, they were killing people, and they said, sorry, God, for killing people, we won't do that anymore, so God didn't blow up their city? No, this is talking about eternal life. In other words, they had come to faith in Yahweh. The Ninevites didn't just avoid a bad day on earth. They, they were forgiven eternally. They become, they, in, in a sense, in this image, they became part of Israel, which was the church at the time. God's people. And we know that because Jesus said, in the last day, the Ninevites will rise up and judge this generation because they believed at the preaching of Jonah and you didn't. And someone, he said, and someone greater than Jonah is here. And that's who we have, friends. The preaching of Christ from his word. We can hear it. But it was through Jonah's crucible that came the largest revival in human history. A whole city repented. A vast, enormous, heavily populated city. For now... We're going to talk about this revival in weeks to come. But for now, I just want to note that this citywide revival could only come through a preacher who was humble and who had been forgiven himself. You see, friends, that's what God's grace, that's what missional grace is. When God restores us from the darkness that we wrought on ourselves so often, he makes us fruitful and useful for his kingdom. When Jonah was in the center of God's will, he saw amazing things happen. And friends, so will you. He saw, in spite of himself, a work of God that he didn't deserve to be a part of. But that's the point, isn't it? None of us do. The fact that God would use any of us to bring one person or a thousand people to faith in Jesus is a miracle of his grace. That he would use us to do this. 
to be his hands and feet to rescue lost people. Let me close and I'll just say a few more things and then we'll be done. Two things can delay your usefulness to God. Okay? Number one is a hard and unrepentant heart. Jonah could have been in that fish and said, you know, God, I, I didn't do anything wrong. These Ninevites are, right, he's still, he could have still been stubborn in that belly of the fish, right? That can delay our, delay our usefulness. So friend, the point is, we come out of darkness and stand in the light and confess and trust that God is gracious and that he loves you and that he'll forgive you. But stop hiding. Stop pretending. Come into the light. You see, because a hard and unrepentant heart can delay our usefulness or take it away altogether. A second thing, though, that can do this is guilt. Once we have come into the light, realize the things wrong that we've done, we can tend to think that somehow I don't deserve to be used by God anymore. So I'm just going to keep my mouth shut and sit in the back. No more ministry for me. Friends, neither are true. Come to God and he will forgive you and he will clean you and he will give you his work for his kingdom. So I hope that this morning our desires become God's desires. That we want what he wants. That we choose our Nineveh around us, the people around us, that we choose this over the belly of the fish, right? I hope that we can realize his grace and restoration and not let guilt keep us from those cities, those people that he's called us to go to. Friends, there is a relationship of obedience that God wants with you, and there is a restoration for you when you fail. And also, you have a city God has called you to. That city might be a neighbor across the street. It might be a coworker. It might be a friend or a family member. You have a Nineveh. There is a city he's called you to proclaim the gospel. It's all around us. What's stopping us from going? So many men and women, used greatly by God, have confessed that when the word of the Lord came to them a second time, that that's when they listened. <laughs> Do you hear what I'm saying? So often God calls us a first time, and we just don't feel like doing it. We don't want to, for whatever our reason. But God get that, then the word of the Lord comes again. He calls us again. He speaks again to all of us. Friends, he's not giving up on you. No matter what you've lost, sometimes our loss isn't our own fault either, but it's still dark, right? He hasn't given up on you. He hasn't given up on his design for you. Through the salvation, listen to this really kind of deep and heavy thing, right? Through the salvation of one Hebrew sinner came the salvation of a great multitude of sinners. And let me just kind of, again, the Bible compares Jonah to Jesus. <clears throat> Through the resurrection of one man, Jesus Christ, came the resurrection of a my the myriad, the forgiveness of a myriad of others. Oh, friends, when you humble yourself and you follow the Lord, he will use you to bring light and life to so many around you. I hope that you will respond. The restoration of Jonah meant the salvation of an entire city. And friends, I think that the re restoration, perhaps, of 
maybe one tiny church in Little Warren, Rhode Island might mean the same for our families and friends and neighborhoods. So it's time to get out of the fish. It's time to wipe the slime off, and it's time to listen to the second voice of God. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray, Lord, that you would vomit us out of the fish. Oh, God, get us out of our deep despair, our self-pity and guilt, and use us for your kingdom work. God, thank you for what you've done to us. Thank you that you will use us in spite of us. I pray, Lord God, let your light shine. And God, I pray if anyone doesn't know you yet, whether you're watching online or you're here in person, and you don't know even much of what I'm talking about right now, friends, God came in the form of a man, took on flesh. His name is Jesus. And he died for you in your place for your sin. We've sinned against God. That's why this world's a mess. That's why we're a mess. Because we're separated from God. We're in the darkness outside of fellowship with him. You were created for communion with him. And our sin has separated us from him. But he invites you to come back to him through the blood of Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. The Bible says simply believe. Turn from your sin and trust in Christ that the payment for your sin has been put on him and be reconciled to God. Be made right with him. If you're coming to faith in Jesus Christ at this moment, just cry out to God, God, save me, I'm a sinner, and I want to be saved. I want to be right with you. I want eternal life. I want to know my purpose, which is love and communion with you, my God. Friend, If you're coming to faith in Jesus, the Bible says that you are in Christ. And I would love to celebrate with you, rejoice with you. Would you let let us know? Let me know somehow. Come talk to us. We would just love to pray with you. God, thank you again for this snowy day. I wonder how deep it is if we're all stranded in here right now. Uh, But that's all right because we can watch the game on TV here. Um, But um, we just love you. We thank you for the weather. We thank you for the, the smiling church. Um, how encouraging it is to see them. Just bless us now in Jesus' name. Amen.